Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. And for what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, is it, uh, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I find then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who is willing to do, or the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according uh, to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which uh, is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I, my, I myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, uh, I'm sorry, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, uh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for this word, Father. I thank you that uh, that you do have the power to not only change the, the inward man, Father, but also the the life that I have. And I pray, Father, that uh, you'll come soon. I pray that uh, I'll get to see uh, those clouds roll back and you ascend from heaven, Father, and no longer will this body of death rule over me. So I just lift your name high, Father, and I, I ask you to hurry home. Hurry and get us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As Jason shared, if you have uh, your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to continue to hold there in Romans chapter 7. As we take a look this morning, what the Lord has for us, as we... uh, Take a look at what God's been doing in our midst as we've been working our way through the the book of Romans. It's been exciting to see, to study, to get a chance to take a look at it. To know that um, God is meeting us in our brokenness. Remember where we began from, and let's just kind of carry our way through just so we don't forget what's going on in the book of Romans. We began with a proclamation That every man, woman, and child on earth is broken. Sometimes that's a little easier for for folks to wrap their minds around than the concept that every man, woman, and child is in sin. But that's what I mean by broken. We're guilty of offending God. Romans 3.9 tells us, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, 
You guys don't need that lesson again, right? I, I just had somebody tell me today who told. Oh, it was, it was Jace. I, you guys, you guys go to the the parade. Sorry, this is a segue. I'll be back. At the parade, we had the the, the youth group going out, going out with. Um, what'd you guys have? Cotton candy. Thanks. And he's going out with cotton candy. So I was just asking him, how'd it go? Did you guys sell all the cotton candy? He says, yeah, we sold it all, except for 20 bags. And I find myself once again going, all means all, and that's all that all means. So when the scripture tells us that all are under sin, both Jews and Greeks, it means we're all broken. And in that brokenness, we have fallen short of God's glory. Isn't that what the scripture declares to us? Chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We have dishonored the Lord with our lives. In Romans 1.21, it says, Although they knew God, They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And therefore we, broken, sinful mankind, find ourselves under what the Bible calls in Romans 1, 2, and 3, condemnation. We're condemned. Remember we we talked about it in John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But sometimes we forget John 17. And the Scripture declares to us that this is the condemnation. That light came to the world, but men loved the darkness rather than the light. He didn't come to condemn. He came to set us free. So we see in the first three chapters this concept of condemnation. But the scripture goes on to tell us as we go from chapter 3 through chapter 5 about this thing, the miracle I call the miracle of justification. That God put upon His Son our damage, our brokenness, our sin, our, our, our issues, so that He could impute or credit or reckon unto us His righteousness. It's not a righteousness we make. Look, we need to try to strike this this sentence from our vocabulary. I'm basically a good person. Well, Ecclesiastes says there is no good people under the sun. None. Romans tells us that there are none who do good... No, not one. Double negative. It means it's absolutely emphatic. We're not good. We're broken. We're under sin. But God, who loved us, sent His Son, who took upon Him our penalty to save us from the penalty of sin and to place upon us His righteousness. That's justification. Now, how does that happen? How how do I get that? Just by existing? The Bible tells me that I have to receive the gift that Jesus offers me. The good news is we receive the gift by faith. By faith. You guys remember I I described it to you like this. where We're hanging on the side of a cliff and we can't pull ourselves up. And there on top is Jesus and he reaches down his arm. 
Receiving what he's given to me by faith means I put both of my hands in his hand. I'm not trying to save myself. I'm not trying to claw up with the other hand. I'm not thinking I'm okay. I can do this by myself. I'm grabbing a hold of Jesus Christ with all that I have. Utter surrender. A lot of times we throw around a concept, right? Making a commitment to Christ. And, and the commitment to Christ is, is kind of cool Christian vernacular, but the problem with commitments is we break those all the time. Surrender is different. You're either surrendered or you're not. You either have your hands in His hands or we don't. Here's what the Scripture declared to us in Romans. In Romans chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it said, But to the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is credited as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Look, the glorious gospel truth of the book of Romans is that God provides an alien righteousness. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Him. He provides that. So justification, remember we talked about it like this. It's as though there's a a, a covering over us, between us and God, in which the Lord imputes or credits to my account righteousness. That's what justification is all about. God has imputed. He's given it to me. I don't have it. He's given me credit for it. Underneath that covering is you and me living here on earth. And we still live in sin. So the book of Romans doesn't stop at justification, the miracle of justification, but it moves on into sanctification. Now here's where people mess up. Here's what we do. We say, well, I receive by faith justification. He's made me righteous. And I'm going to make myself holy. That ain't going to work. Remember, the Bible declares to us that we are not under the law, but under grace. Now, a lot of people throw that phrase around and they don't understand the phrase. So let me remind you what we talked about about that phrase. Under the law means I save myself. If I do it, any part of it, I do it all. That's under the law. Under grace means Jesus does it all. I don't do any part of it. Jesus does it all. So when we consider sanctification, we come to Romans chapter 6. And Romans chapter 6 focuses on sin. The the main word in Romans chapter 6 is sin. Remember, what did it say? Well, if I'm justified by faith and I didn't have to do anything to get it, then should I sin? Did grace abound? And Paul says, certainly not. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? It is the movement that occurs in the life of a believer toward holiness that is achieved by you and I stopping trying to do it externally by law-keeping and realizing that sanctification is something that is done internally because Jesus Christ lives in me. 
Romans chapter 6 told us that sin wants to rule over us. We're going to talk about that this morning. Sin wants to rule over us. But we are not to, to, to allow sin. In fact, Romans 6 goes on to say, sin shall not rule over you. Why? Because if we've given our life to Jesus Christ, and we received Him as our, our great and glorious treasure, and all our hope is in Him, and we have that surrendered relationship to Christ, the Bible says He lives in me. He's on the throne now. Sin's not. Sin's not on the throne. That's the point of sanctification in Romans chapter 6. It told us in Romans chapter 6 that that my desires are not evil or good. They're just desires. And they are either captured by sin and perverted, and they lead me into deeper sin, or they are captured by Christ, and they are made holy. So in sanctification, He changes my desires. He changes my attitudes. He changes me how? From outside in? No, from the inside out. So Romans chapter 6 tells us that, but Romans chapter 7 focuses on the law. So when we came to Romans chapter 7, the scripture laid out for us, well then, is the law sin? Is the law sin? Is the law bad? What's wrong with the law? And Paul talked a lot about issues with the law. But here's what he shows us, Romans 6. He showed us that we have to die to the law to receive justification it's not me saving me it's me receiving Christ he saves me he told us in Romans chapter 7 we have to die to the law to be sanctified listen to what he said as we we get closer we're closer to starting don't worry (laughs) Romans 7 I don't want you guys to miss this there's so much stuff here Romans 7 4 through 6 likewise my brothers You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We died to the law to bear fruit for God. Jesus inside changes us from the inside. That's the fruit that happens. I don't make fruit happen. Fruit happens. I just stay attached to the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. So if we stay abiding in the vine, what did he say would happen? Yeah, we'll bear fruit. And every, every branch that bears fruit, what do you say? My father will prune it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to clip it and make it bear what? More fruit. Anywhere in there did he say, you guys need to really hold your breath and push hard so the fruit comes out. <laughs> he did not say that. It happens sometimes. <clears throat> so, there's no, there's no human effort, right? It's God working in me. I'm sanctified by faith. I'm justified by faith. I'm glorified by faith. 
Not by works of the law. Not by deeds that I have done. But by what he has already accomplished. By by what Jesus Christ has already done. So as we began in chapter 7, and we're considering those three aspects. Condemnation, justification, sanctification. We're going to wrap up sanctification today. And we've been working our way through chapter 7. As we work our way through chapter 7, I told you last time, there are four pillars. Four pillars of wisdom that help us understand our freedom from the law and our, and, and our freedom from sin. Because sanctification states that we have been set free from the power of sin. Because Christ lives in me. Doesn't mean I'm free from committing sin, but I'm freed from, from that power. So, so when we looked at the first one, remember? The first one, the first pillar is my relationship to the law. What is our relationship to the law? According to Romans 7, 1 through 6, we are dead to the law. Just read it. Remember? And when we died to the law, we were then joined to another. Who are we joined to? Him who was raised from the dead. So we're joined to Jesus Christ. I was at one time joined to the law. And if I could have kept the law, I could have saved myself. But I cannot. So, in Christ's death, the Bible tells in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that I have been crucified with Christ. I was crucified with Him. And He lives in me. Set free from the law. I have died to the law. I am joined to Christ. So that's the first pillar of wisdom. That we're dead to the law. So Christ in us means new desires. New attitudes. New changes working from the inside out. The second pillar of wisdom is what is then the relationship of the law to sin. In fact, he, he began with a question in, in verse 7. If you look at it, chapter 7, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, if I needed to be set free from the law, to be set free from the power of sin, then is the law sin? And so he says, what is the relationship then? Pillar number two, what is the relationship of the law to sin? Number one, the law reveals sin. Number two, the law activates sin. You guys remember, if I put a speed limit sign in that parking lot, you are all going to speed. No, I won't do it. I always follow the law. I'm going to follow you. The law activates sin. The law reveals sin. The law tells us the penalty of sin. Which is, the soul that sins shall die. And the law reveals the magnitude, how great my sin is. The more time I spend reading the Word of God, the more I recognize my sin. Okay, that's the, the, that's the second pillar. That's the relationship of the law to sin. It reveals, it activates, it tells us the penalty and tells us how great it is. The law is not, be- the law is not evil or sinful. The law is good. And that brings us to where we start today. We start today with that third pillar. So the third pillar in terms of the wisdom of Romans chapter 7 and the relationship that we have with the law is this. The conflict between the law and myself. The conflict between the law and myself. Listen, this is the second aspect of our brokenness. We saw our brokenness in the fact that we are all born in sin. We don't 
sin and therefore become a sinner. We are sinners and sin. That's what we do. That's why dogs bark. So the, the, the idea is that we have this indwelling sin. And so the third pillar is there's always a conflict between God's law and our sin nature. And remember, justification didn't remove our sin nature, did it? It covered it with His righteousness. It doesn't take it away. When we see Jesus face to face, He takes away our sin nature. He saves us from the presence of sin. But that's not till we see Him. So, so here I am living on this earth justified. My relationship with God is now open because He has made me righteous. Being sanctified because Jesus is working in my life to make me holy. But then, then how does the law work in me? It shows a conflict. It shows a divided man. And that's what we read this morning in Romans chapter 7, wasn't it? Look, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He begins with this concept, I'm sold under sin. And a lot of times people come to this section of Romans chapter 7, and they try to say, well, this is Paul before he was saved. Well... Okay, I'm not going to waste any time on that because that's crazy. When you were lost, you never talked about yourself in terms of the flesh and the spirit. You never talked to yourself as divided until you got saved. When you got saved, all of a sudden you recognize there's a battle happening in me. I don't want to be good, but I love God and I want to follow Him. And I have this battle raging within me. This is the exact same battle he talked about in Romans 6 verse 12 when he said that sin shall not reign over you. Same battle. Now it's being described for us. And we're being told that the Apostle Paul fought this battle. So this is Paul's life. At the time he wrote it, these were Paul's struggles. And it's about time the church started being honest with how it is that our, our lives are, are a battlefield through our desires, right? Being, being captivated by our sin nature and twisted and we do something dumb we shouldn't have done or surrendering to God and allowing Him to work those desires into a godly uh, usage of our, of our bodies, of our lives, of our choices. That's a reality, man. That happens to everybody. Happened to Peter, didn't it? Peter's so easy to, to choose out, but let's look at him. Peter, what did he do? Jesus said, that, uh, said to him, Who do men say that I am? You remember Peter's response? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So God Almighty revealed to Peter... Who Jesus was. That's what he's declaring. 
And I'm sure Peter's kind of stoked. But in a little while, Jesus starts to talk about the fact that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. And what does Peter do? Oh, far be it from you, Lord. No, no, no. You can't go do that. You can't go die, which is the way that we're all going to get saved. And Peter's trying to stop him. That's why Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. One minute. Great proclamation, right? A few moments later, stunning defeat. A little while later, Jesus is going to say, all of you are going to leave me. You remember what Peter said? Even if all these leave you, Lord, I won't leave. And a few hours later, what do we see taking place? A little slave girl comes up to Peter and says, do you know him? And Peter denies the Lord, right? Over and over and over. He goes out and he weeps. But here's what some people say when I talk about Peter like this. Well, that's before Pentecost. Oh, I'm glad you're paying attention. Let's go to Pentecost. So on Pentecost, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he preaches an incredible message, right? And, and souls get saved. 3,000 one time, 5,000 another time. The church is born. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there's not going to be any more sin going on, right? They're, they're, he's not going to struggle or have problems until we come to the book of Galatians. And they're in Galatians. They're in Antioch. Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles, having a good old time. He's having bacon and eggs. I don't know. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's hanging out. He's eating with the, with the Gentiles. And, and then there come some dudes from James's church. Remember? And they were kind of legalistic and they were Jewish. And Peter got kind of uptight and weird about it. And he, he fell into hypocrisy, didn't he? That's what, that's what Paul says. Paul said, I had to withstand him to his face. Cause even, even Barnabas was carried away with his hypocrisy. By the way, that was after the Holy Spirit. What's the point? There's a conflict, guys. There's a conflict between the work of Christ in our lives and our sin nature. And that battle is going to happen. Daily. It don't go away. Not going to stop. We're to recognize it. Realize that we are, like Paul said, to fight the good fight of faith. Right? To fight the good fight of faith. To cling to Christ. What did Jesus tell? Everyone who ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. He told them all the same thing. He said, hey, come follow me. He didn't say, just hang out on a couch and go to church every once in a while and you're good. You got your insurance. Salvation is not insurance. It don't work like that. It don't work like that. So look, we're sold under sin. We have this battle taking place within us. It doesn't mean that we always live in defeat, do we? Christ won the victory. But it does mean we're always going to have battles. And if we have battles, is there a possibility that we are like Peter and we might mess up? Is there a possibility that we're like Paul and we might be able to say like Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that I'm not always doing the things I know I need to be doing? Absolutely. 
Absolutely, and that's the point. So what's he saying here? He's saying, look, our practice does not reveal our values. I value, I treasure Christ above all other things. But sometimes my practice doesn't say that. Sometimes it it doesn't say that. What did he say? Look, he said, what I hate, I do. I don't want to do that. I don't know why. I think it's because I'm broken. And the sooner we come to realize that not only are you broken, but the one on your left and the one on your right is broken as well. The sooner we realize that, the the less surprised we're going to be and say something like, you know, I thought that guy was a Christian. From what I read in scriptures, being a Christian means you're a broken person whose trust is in Christ, that Christ is saving me. And a broken person whose trust is in Christ is able to mess up. Wouldn't you agree? So, so he says, look, our practice doesn't reveal our value. Looking, looking, looking. I don't know what that means, but I think I was going to say listen, and now I was going to say look, and it just come together. <laughs> my performance also does not reveal my desire. My desire, I want to live like Christ. I want to be who He is. What did He say here in this section of Scripture? How to perform what is good, I cannot find. I want to do it. But the power to do that, it's, it's, it's not always there. I, I, I struggle with it. I struggle with it. So, so in this section that we've been looking at here, we see not only does it, does it lay out for us that my practice doesn't reveal the value that I place in Christ, my performance doesn't reveal the desire that I have to please Him, but it also tells me that the law was right about me. It said I was broke. I was damaged. It said I couldn't do it. Look, the best lie that the devil's got, he whispers in people's ears, and he says, hey, if you try hard enough, you can do it yourself. If you try hard enough, you can be holy. And then we get, we get disgusted by the things we do and the choices that we make, and we get depressed, and we, do the, we isolate. We get away from a church, because when we're in the church, we, we, we look around and we, we recognize, when we come into the presence of the Holy Spirit, we begin to recognize, I, 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 I don't belong here. Yeah, you absolutely belong here. That person you think has it all together is every bit as broken as you. Every bit. So we recognize that. We have to grab a hold of that concept that, that, that the law was right, I'm broken. So the law's not the problem, right? He told us what the problem was. I, I hope you guys saw it. He told us what the problem was. He said, the law is broken. It's good. It's, it's right about me, and there is something else in me. What did he call it? 
says, no longer me, it's sin that dwells in me. That's what we would call our depraved nature. Our sin nature. It doesn't really matter what you call it. The point is, your sin nature lives in you from now till you see Christ face to face. At which time, you're going to be like Him. No sin nature. Sin nature gone. Man, what a glorious day. Until that time, we're justified, covered by His righteousness and being sanctified. He's making me holy. My job, remember from the cliff, not to try to scratch my way up was my job. I grab onto Him with both my hands. I grab a hold of Jesus. I grab a hold of him. How, how do I do that in a tangible way? What, what, how do I do that tangibly? Oh, grab on. Well, how do I do that? Well, I got his word. I got prayer. I got worship. I, I follow him. I go where Jesus went. If Jesus didn't go there, I don't go there. If Jesus went there, I go. I want to go and be and do the things that He wants me to do. This presence in me, this sin, Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 64. In Isaiah 64, 6, it's a familiar scripture. This is what it says. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteousness is as filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, has taken us away. Our iniquity, my sin. That's inside of me. And he goes on in verse 18, if you look at it. I'm sorry, in verse 16. uh, Actually, I want to go to 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, what, what dwells? Nothing good. Nothing good. In my flesh, nothing good dwells. But the will is present. The desire is in me, right? The desire to do what God wants me to do. It's what he says. The will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, that I don't find. My flesh is helpless. So if we think we're going to do it, we're crazy. We can't just make it happen by power of will, by focus, by by reading a bunch of self-help books and... And putting it all together. We can't do it. We can't do it in and of our flesh. So we go on. In, in verse 19, he continues. He says, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He said that twice. So find it. So I find it to be a law. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Sin dwells in me. Sin dwells in me. In chapter 6, verse 12, he said, Sin's desire is to reign over me. And every time I see that, it takes me back to the beginning. You guys know where the beginning is? If you go all the way in the left in your Bible to Genesis chapter 4, that's pretty close to it. Pretty close to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, you guys remember him? So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? 
Remember, Cain brought an offering, God didn't receive it. Abel brought an offering that God received. Now God's talking to Cain. Why are you angry, Cain? If you do right, if you, if you provide the offering that's required, you'll be accepted. In verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what lies at the door? Sin lies at the door. Just like he said in, in Romans 6, 12. Sin's desire is to rule over you, to reign over you. That's what he said in Romans 6. Now he says, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. He knew that Cain was having problems, right? He's having desires. He's angry at God and he's angry at his brother. And God told him, sin's at the door and it's going to capture that desire. It's going to pervert it and you're going to kill your brother. We're broken. The only cure for our brokenness is a life of surrender to Jesus Christ. He told Cain, but Cain wouldn't listen. The only answer for Cain was surrender. He had to surrender to God. He had to surrender his desire. He had to surrender his dreams. He had to surrender all that stuff and just grab a hold of God and stop thinking that all those other things were going to please him. You know that the thing you think is going to make you so happy just doesn't always work out. The other day, we had pizza. We had my favorite pizza is Canadian bacon. I shouldn't tell this when you guys are hungry. Canadian bacon with extra cheese and jalapenos. Oh, makes me so happy. If they put more jalapenos on it, I'm even happier. I love it. So, 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 so I ate until I was utterly full, right? And, but I was kind of stoked because there's like a half a pizza left. And so we go about our day and I think, man, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the night and leftovers. I get to have some more pizza. Man, it's going to be so good. So, we get home. It's, it's kind of late that night. We got to have had a lot of people over at the house. Some folks visiting us from California. And so, we take the, the cold pizza and I think, man, I could just do it in the microwave. But, and you put that in the oven. It gets a little crispy. It's going to be so good. So, I put all the pizza we had left in the oven. And I baked it in there. And I opened the door and I was like, oh man, it smells so good. It looked so perfect. So I pulled all that pizza out. And one of the friends that was staying with us, her name, her name is Shannon. I pull all the pizza out and she goes, what's that in the corner of your oven? And I said, I don't know. It kind of looks like maybe Kathy spilled something down there, except... It has two little ears. Actually, there were two of them, so there were four little ears. But, but, I mean, come on. They were, they had been in the oven so long. You guys know the story, uh, where'd that volcano go off? Pompeii. They were like those Pompeii people. So they were really just ash in the corner. Well, that pizza sounded so good until I found out there were two mice dead in the oven. 
Now, the thought that I have been eating food out of that oven for the last... Who knows how long since them mice were dead in there. It, I, it did make my stomach a little bit queasy. The pizza was good. I ate it. <laughs> I don't think anybody else in the house had any pizza, but there was jalapenos on that pizza. I told you guys that, right? Sometimes we think that something's going to be so satisfying, right? And then, and then all of a sudden, one or two little things... Take all, take all that satisfaction away. What really satisfies is Christ. And all that other stuff is just fluff. So let it go. Sin's at the door. It wants to twist your desires. So take your desires and bring them all captive to Christ. Bring every thought captive to Christ. Bring it all through him. But there's this battle still happening, right? This battle is still happening. And I want you to see in this section, I think we're going to make it. I want you to see in this section, he talks about, well, that's kind of loose, but you guys know what I mean. There's four laws he talks about that are all battling in us. Okay. Four laws. And, and this really illustrates the battle that's happening. The, I want to do what I should do, but I'm not doing what I, what I could do. And I wish I was doing the right things, but I'm not always doing the right things. There, there's four laws that, that lay it out for us. So let's take a look at it. First, he talks about the law of our members, the, which is the law of flesh. And, he, and he, he speaks about it specifically. He sees that the law of his members, I see in my members, verse 23, another law, Waging war against the law of my mind. So, the law of the flesh battles against my mind. It battles against my mind. Brings me into captivity to sin. So, the law of the flesh, the members, is working together with the law of sin. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And the law of the mind, that's my desires. He talks about it, right? He says, the law of my mind. It battles with the law of my mind. The desires that I have, that I want to do the right thing, but it's constantly trying to capture those desires and twist those desires and and get me off track. So he's describing the conflict, the law of the mind, the desire to do good. And, and, And the fact that the law of the mind, he says, delights in the law. In fact, I want you to see the conflict. Let's just pause for a minute and back up. In verse 14, he's going to talk about his delight of the law and the battle with sin. Look at it. Verse 14, he says, we know that the law is spiritual. Delight for the law, right? But then he has an acknowledgement of indwelling sin. But I am carnal, sold to sin. Uh, He's got the, the good battling against the bad. We see it again in verses 16 and 17. Look at them. In verse 16 and 17, delight for the law. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree the law is good. 
So he says, I have the light for the law. The law is good, right? The law is good. But then he goes on in 17 and talks about this indwelling sin. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. See the battle. The law is good, but the sin is in me. The, the desire to do good things is there. And I'm, I want to be spiritual, but I'm carnal. I got this thing in me. He's, he's, he's laying out that battle between the mind and the flesh. Look what it says in verse 22. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I delight in it. I, I, I rejoice in it. He loves that law. But then we see indwelling sin. But I see in my members, my body, my flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You have the good, that which wants to lead us the right way. And we have in us, within me, indwelling sin that wants to capture that desire and twist it. That's what he's talking about. The fourth one we see in verse 24 and 25. We haven't read them yet, but you'll see. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but we see indwelling sin. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Right? He's got this battle happening in him. So we have the law of the flesh battling with the mind, right? The desire to do good, struggling against that sin that's inside of us. Now, the third law he talks about in this section is the law of God. And the, and the fact that the law of God is perfect and, and powerful to, to work in us and to change us. Look, just flip real quick to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a great psalm in, in describing the law of the Lord. So as he's talking about the law of the Lord here, in Psalm 19, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. And the dripping of the honeycomb. So the scripture tells us the law of God is perfect. And there's a purpose to it. Read verse 11 of Psalm 19. Moreover, by them, that law, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. So there's good and the law is not wrong. And the things that the law says. But then in Psalm 119, we find out that the law of the Lord is powerful. It's powerful to work in us. It becomes one of the tools that the Spirit in us is going to use that we're going to, we're going to discover in a couple of verses, which is the key to victory over the battle that's taking place within us. It tells us in Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? It says, By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the word becomes a tool. The law of God becomes a tool. So the law of God works together with the law of the mind to capture and hold the desires, right? The will to do good. They work together. And we see 
the law of the flesh and the law of sin work together to disrupt what's trying to happen. What, what, this is a divided man. We're divided. You want to say it another way? We're broken. We're not whole until we're whole in Christ. And we're whole in Christ when we are standing before Him in heaven. Here on earth, He covers us with His righteousness. Here on earth, He's working within our hearts to sanctify us. But one day, He's going to glorify us. And we'll be like Him. Well, the fourth sin, I alluded to it, the fourth sin is the law of sin. We've seen it four times. Four times the law of sin in verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. In verse 20. Not a, now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 21. I find that a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Here's the law of sin. I find evil present in me. It's there. Verse 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Its desire is to rule over me. We just talked about it, right? Remember Romans 6.12, I've alluded to a couple of times. Romans 6.12, Therefore do not let sin rule in your mortal body. Therefore do not let sin rule in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. It's desires. Sin, capturing desires, perverting your direction, causing you and me, we, to sin. It's in me, that nature. It's in us, that nature. The battle occurs. It happens. But then we come to the fourth pillar, the last pillar. And the last pillar is the most important part because it's the pillar that provides the power for the believer. So far, all we've talked about is the struggle, the battle between doing right and doing wrong, living holy, living unholy, struggling with the desire to please the Lord and the, and the desire to just follow our sin nature within us, just like Cain did when he killed his brother, or just like Peter did when he was caught in hypocrisy, or just like Paul did when he wrote Romans chapter 7. But the key, that fourth pillar we see in verse 24 and 25, he says, Wretched man that I am. Wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The struggle, the constant battle that's never going to change. How am I going to get delivered from this? Where do I find victory? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh the law of sin. We have to realize our sinful condition. I need deliverance. The first step to deliverance is being able to say that first part. Oh, wretched man that I am. I don't know why people have such a hard time with that. We shouldn't have a hard time with that. We are sinners. We sing songs about being wretched. Don't we? We, we, we need to recognize that's our state. I'm a wretched man. Who struggles with sin. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. So. And he'll give me victory. Step by step over that sin. 
My sin doesn't define me, but it is part of the battle that I fight every day. Oh, wretched man that I am, I have to realize my sinful condition. Second, I have to respond to my Savior. Thanks be to God. First, he said, who's going to save me from this body of death? What did he tell you? He told you who he went to the very next line. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. One hand, he says, who's going to save me? And the other hand, he declares who did it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I, I have to, uh, I have to respond. I have to call out to him. I have to thank him. Psalm 130. The psalmist declares this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman watch for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him there is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. So I recognize my condition. I respond, I call out to my Savior. The third part is, I relinquish control to the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the law of the mind and the battle with the law of the flesh. And we've talked about how the law of the Lord works together with the law of the mind to capture desires and bring us into holiness. And we talked about how the law of the sin works together with the law of the flesh to disrupt what's going on, this battle that's taking place. But there's one law we didn't talk about. Jason read it, but we didn't talk about it because that's next week. (laughs) But I'm not leaving you here. I want you to hear it. Because I said that fourth pillar is the believer's power. And you see it in Romans 8, verse 2. In Romans 8, verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free of the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit, relinquishing control to the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is so vital. Look, I I don't want to get too confused. I don't have time to to run with it yet. But understand, the battle is happening in our lives. And the power, the strength we need in order to overcome, to utilize the, the law of the Lord and to utilize our desires to let them come in line with Christ as He's working within us. The power to do that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in every single believer. But not every single believer is responding to the working of the Holy Spirit in their life. The Holy Spirit is the power to victory. 
walking in the Spirit of life. Who gave us the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us Jesus did. Who gave us justification? Jesus did. Who gave us sanctification? Jesus did. Who gives us the Holy Spirit to get victory over sin in our life? Jesus did. Is there something that you need that He doesn't give? It all comes from Him. Experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Experiencing the victory. In order to get to Romans 8, you got to go through 7. And if you won't go through seven in your life, if you won't admit that that's real, you're not ever going to be an eight. But if you can admit Romans seven is real in my life, I struggle. Then I can say with you all, but there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He has given His Spirit. He has won the victory. I may experience defeat in the moment. I may experience sorrow in the evening. But victory and joy come in the morning. 